That's right, when you don't know. Sometimes it feels like the sun will never rise, like the birds will never sing again. Believe in a power greater than what you are going through when you don't know what to do. to do just keep on breathing from the city of angels in los angeles welcome to all my listeners out there in radio land i'm dave the caregiver's caregiver at caregiverdave.com along with my lovely co-host former mayor of a california beach town and best-selling author of the happiest corruption sleaze lies and suicide in a california beach town great reading debbie peterson and also coming to you live and on demand 24-7 on numerous syndicated radio and podcast networks, 26 global audio and video platforms, including iHeartRadio, iTunes, YouTube, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Vimeo, Stitcher Radio, and many, many more. Um, we are proud to be voted number one caregiver podcast of the top 50 on Player FM, number two on Feedspot, number two on CaringVillage.com. And we have an especially exciting show planned for you today. We are talking to Richard Allen. He was born and raised in Liverpool, England. <laughs> Mum and dad and sister Gillian had a life filled with kindness, humor, love. Worked for some of the largest companies in the world. And moved to the USA in 2001. His father passed away in November 2020. And he's going to be, talk to us, be talking to us about grief and the grief process. Um, but before we get started, I do want to thank my last week's guest, Epilepsy Act advocate and author of Vivian Drain, My Daughter's Battle with Epilepsy. Mike Knox is a father and caregiver to a child by his drug-resistant epilepsy and is passionate about reducing the stigma surrounding epilepsy. And he's the developer of a brand, I don't know if it's a brand new machine, but it's a machine that helps, it's a device, I should say, that helps epilepsy get control over it. And just a reminder, you can watch or listen to that interview and all our interviews on our membership website, caregiverdave.com, or any of the other networks I mentioned earlier. All right, enough of that. Richard, no, so nice to have you on the Caregiver Dave Show. Hey, Dave. Hey, Debbie. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. And I always like to ask my guests, just who is Richard Allen, Richard John Allen, and why was he placed on this earth? Um, I'd like to think I'm a gift from God. I think we all are, right? <laughs> We all are, um, yeah. some more than others. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, yeah, so I was, I was born in Liverpool, England. Um, have obviously a mum and dad and my sister Gillian. Um, very traditional upbringing. You know, my dad worked nine to five um, for the education in Liverpool. He actually what, worked in the town he hall. He was a um, a finance director. Right. So he dealt with all the finances for all the different schools in the Liverpool district and he worked in the town hall, so we were extremely proud of my dad. Um, he was there for, I believe, 35 years. He retired when he was 52, wow. such a young age. My wife he, had a stroke when she was 52. Wow. Yeah. It is uh, a young age, yes. Yes. And, um, and my mum stayed at home, so while my dad worked nine to five, my mum was at home looking after me and my sister, Gillian. And um, it was, you know, if you know anything about Liverpool, um, it's a working class town. It's right on the northwest coast of England. Well, I know the Beatles came from there. The Beatles, that's right. Yes. Yeah. I could tell you a story about them maybe another day. Uh, it's a cool story, but I've never met them, but my mum did. 
uh, back oh, in the wow. 60s. But anyway, and uh, but yeah, not many people there have got a lot of money. You know, like you say, it's yeah. a working class town, but Liverpool has a lot of sense of humour, the people there. There's a lot of comedians that come out of Liverpool. So my family was always happy. You know, we always had what we needed. My dad was a great provider. We never went without anything. And I think anybody can relate to the 60s and 70s, maybe even today. You always got hand-me-downs, right, from your uncles or cousins. And so I was always wearing, you know, jeans from my, you know, my uncle or my cousin or something. It was, but yeah, I always had what you needed is, I guess is what I'm saying. So it was a wonderful life, wonderful so what, upbringing. What got you started in, in grief? I mean, uh, yeah. this is what you do. You wrote a book about grief, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I mean, when did this passion come? So it was kind of sad, but right now as of today i'm I'm glad to be and uh, to be writing about grief so back in february of 2020 me my father sent me a text message so I, I moved to america in 2001 as you said and i would go over to liverpool to see my family as much as i could but in february 2020 my dad sent me a text message to tell me he had cancer oh. and he told me he was riddled with it the doctors have said there's nothing they can do he will, he will die. They can put him on chemo, radiation, but it's not going to prevent it from happening. So, of right. course, myself and my fiance Alison, we flew over to England straight away. In, it was actually early March of 2020 to see him. We spent a week there, and this was at the start of the pandemic. And we saw a few people in the airports wearing masks, and we thought, that's kind of strange, you know, because we didn't really know all this coronavirus then. Right at the beginning. Yeah, so we came back to America and I wanted to go back as soon as I could. But in April, I think 2020 is when it really kicked in and we had lockdowns, didn't we? And there was travel restrictions and travel bans and I couldn't go back to see my dad. And thinking about it now, I think it kind of protected me in the sense of I didn't see my dad withered away, but at the same time, I wanted to be with him and to see him as much as I could. So I'm really conflicted as to whether it helped me or it didn't help me. Um, But anyway, um, it was my sister that wrote to me in November 19th, 2020, to say, it's now Richard, dad's dying. And again, still being in the pandemic, I didn't know if I could get a flight, but I did. And the plane was empty. Uh, I took off from Raleigh, North Carolina, landed in London, and three of the terminals in London were closed. It was deserted. I got to Liverpool by train. It was deserted. It was very surreal journey. And all this time, I'm thinking to myself, Dave, you know, is my dad still alive? Because it took 24 hours to get there. So I left on the Friday, November 19th. I get there on November 20th, 2020, and I ran into my dad's house, ran upstairs to the bedroom, and I couldn't believe what I saw. He, he was sitting up in bed watching TV and he was watching a Clint Eastwood movie. He always wanted to be a cowboy. <laughs> and I'm like, dad, what's going on? You look great. And he looked at me and he said, yeah, why are you here? And I was so confused. And I climbed up on the bed and I remember holding him and he had his arms around me. And again, a very surreal experience. I felt like a little five-year-old boy again. Having my dad's arms around me, I felt safe and protected. I always have. 
And uh, sorry, it was a moment I'll never, ever forget. And we sat on the bed, talked for maybe an hour. And I went downstairs to have a cup of tea with my mum and sister while my dad rested for a little while. So this was on the Saturday. Well, on the Monday, my dad was gone. Wow. He deteriorated so fast. But did he really look great when you saw him? He did. He looked good, strong. He got up and went to the bathroom. You know, he was... He was he was eating his food, drinking his coffee. Did he look and great when he passed? Him, he slept a lot. What what tended to happen was his body was shutting down. All his, the doctor, well, the nurses that were coming every three or four hours, they said his body is shutting down. So they warned us. They're experts, of course. They said we can see the signs. Your dad's about so he wasn't to go. skin and bones like most cancer patients. No, like it's no. Eating, eating you alive inside. No, he still looked quite good. You know, he that's had fortunate for you. Him. You got a good yes. image to remember him by. Yeah. Some of us uh, don't have that gift. No. And especially during the pandemic, maybe many people didn't even get there. But I was fortunate enough to, yeah. to be able to travel. And my fiance, she flew over shortly after and she joined me over there after my dad had passed and she was there for the funeral. Um, but that whole experience was just real anyway long story short was you know again because of the pandemic we could not have the funeral straight away so we had to wait three weeks for the funeral so those three weeks i was there helping my mum and my sister with the grief and just being there to love and support each other did but also, you know did you know how to help her with the grief obviously you all were grieving um yeah. did you even know that it was grief that there is a grief process that, you know, it, it deals with denial and bargaining and anger. Yeah. And, uh, did you tell us how you went through this process and what you sure. learned and how you can teach the caregivers who are grieving right now, how you can help them. And if, so that, that's if you have anything question. you want to chime in, just feel free. Here. So, so this was the, my first experience with grief, Dave and Debbie, because my grandparents so died before I, the dog died. Before my dog died, yes. So this was in, in the 2020, November 2020. And the first time I'd experienced grief, you know, my grandparents all passed away when I was very young. So I hadn't, you know, I can't think of another time I'd been to a funeral. You know, I'd never, I'd never experienced this before. So suddenly my dad passes away. He's the rock in my life. You know, I went to him for advice on everything. And he's gone. And to hold his hand while he takes his last breath mm. is such a dramatic experience. And I think how I got through it, uh, for me, I got through, well, I'm saying I'm still going through it really, is without knowing, it, it was the love of my family, being close to my mom, being close to my sister. As I mentioned before, we were an extremely close family. And I, I believe this has brought us even closer, which is hard to believe, but we're, we're there for each other. And, and it was okay to cry. Yeah. And cried on each other's shoulders. Yeah. And I will say, and, and I'm sure your listeners know this, that grief is not only complex, but it's very individual. We all mm -hmm. go through it so, so different. And some people I remember, go through it quicker than other people. Yeah. I mean, I remember it was really weird, Dave, because being at my mom's house and my dad's house, right, for those three weeks waiting for the funeral, I would get up in the morning, come downstairs to make a cup of coffee at breakfast. And my mum was in the kitchen and she'd be okay. But I break, I break down crying. The next day I go downstairs to make a cup of coffee and my mum would break down crying. So it was just different times. 
you know, we, we don't all cry or grieve the same. We don't do it in the same way or at the same time. So obviously when my mum was crying, I would console her, comfort her. I'm a sister. And when I was crying, they would do it for me. So as a family and even extended family, like our aunties, uncles, and my fiance, when she came over, we were there for each other. And I think that is just one of the support tools or mechanisms that you can have. Certainly your family and closest friends can help you with grief being there for you. And they don't have to, you know, they don't have to give you a lot of advice. You don't have to share everything with them. Sometimes it's just simply being in company, being with them and just talking about anything, whether it be about your loved one who's just left you or memories about, you know, what you've been through in life with your loved one, with my dad. Um, Was anger one of the emotions that you had gone through? Just wondering. um, Or that your mother went through or your sister? I, I, I personally haven't gone through the anger. Maybe I will, but not yet. Um, it's, I've not experienced the anger. Um, I very quickly found myself with my faith, with religion, which is a surprise to me because um, as a boy growing up, I went to Catholic schools. I went to the school of St. John Bosco. I had my t- Some of my teachers were priests. I went to mass every day. I was an altar boy for many, many years. And at one point I went to seminary school thinking I was going to become a priest. So back in the day when I was 16, 17 and 18, I was consumed with religion. And then suddenly I wouldn't say it left me. I just went on a different path. And then my mom, unfortunately had an aneurysm back in 2007. And I totally turned my back on religion and faith. I was angry. Why would angry at God, angry at God, my mum and dad were the nicest people you could meet. So why would my mum have an aneurysm? And I was there. I witnessed the uh, collapse and she went into surgery in Connecticut. She was actually over here visiting and she was in nine hour surgery. Anyway, I was angry with God, angry with religion. But when my dad died, it was different, Dave. I was, I, I leaned on my faith and it helped me a great, great deal. Um, why, why do you think it was different? I, you know, I, I don't know. I, I it's kind of, it's we. Maybe it's because I've we're growing all the time, right? This was in two thousand and seven when my mum had the aneurysm. It was twenty twenty when my dad passed away to cancer. Maybe I changed in some way, um, but I've always believed in God. I've always believed in heaven. I've always had the base of my faith has always been there. But for my mum, I was angry with my faith. But with my dad, as as painful as it was to see him, and as painful as it was for me to carry his coffin into that church, um, I, I felt so much love from God and from from knowing that I know he will be okay. And, and maybe it's this, Dave, and you, you've put me on the spot here, <laughs> but I'm thinking about it now. Maybe it's because my mom is alive. Maybe she survived the aneurysm and I was angry because of the suffering she went through. Whereas with my dad, he died and he's passed on. And now I know he's with the Lord and I know he's at peace and he communicates with me. I can tell you that the signs I've had from my dad unquestionably from my dad. And so your mom is bring, still alive. 
My mum is still alive. Yeah, she's oh. doing well. Um, and like you say, what's that now? 16 years ago, 2007. So did you get over that anger with God and your faith? I did. Yes. Good, good. Took some time. Yeah, but I did. How much time? Um, I hate to say it, a couple of years. I'm not going to lie. Um, and Did she you know, suffer for a couple of years? She did. Yeah. It was kind of a, a disability for my mum. She lost partial sight. Um, she couldn't drive a car anymore. She shakes a lot. You know, she picks up a cup of tea, a hand will be shaking. You know, even she has, today, even today, even today, yeah. So she's not a hundred percent, of course. I mean, even the even the doctors or she the had surgeon, a stroke, basically. Yeah, the surgeon told us it's not the biggest aneurysm, but basically, your mum should be dead. I don't know how she survived, but you she know, did. My she's wife a strong had a stroke woman. also. She lost her speech and the total mm-hmm. right side paralysis. Yeah. Uh, you know, she had to, she went through three years of grief. She had to yeah. reinvent herself and figured, well, if God still has me here, then he must have a purpose for me. So she yes. just turned her life around, reinvented it. And she has yeah. a totally positive attitude and outlook and yeah. she inspires people. People look at her and they say, what the heck am I complaining about? Look at this woman. She can't talk. She can't walk. She's got a smile yeah. on her face, joy in her heart. And so, uh, you know, it's all about perspective. And attitude. yeah, we- Right. You certainly get tested in life, like your wife, right? She was tested and she passed the test, yeah. right? Yeah. Just like my mum. My mum's always been religious and she goes to church every week and she's never lost her faith. I mean, when she came out of the the uh, surgery, she had no memory. She couldn't remember who we were. She couldn't remember my dad. I was here in America and my dad and my sister had to fly over to Connecticut and she couldn't remember who they were. And yeah. it took weeks and weeks before her memory came back. Yeah, well, that's the difference between your mom and your dad. Your your father really didn't suffer much. He just mm-hmm. kind of died quickly. Yeah, and that's. I mean, that's the way I want to die quickly. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Your mother went through a debilitating disability, yeah. and you know you had to watch it, and so yeah. that's the difference. You know, that's why yeah. one gave you anger, and yeah. one did not. Yeah, but you well, you had to go through three griefs: the grief process of your father, your mother, yeah. and your dog, or not in that order. But, yeah, uh, yeah, that would make right. you an expert on on grief. How well, can people? Yeah. What can you teach people about um, going through the grief process? Because you can't cheat it; you got to go through it. Yeah, exactly. I, I would say to sum it up, I would say never give up. And as I've said before, and you know this, and and um, Debbie knows this. Like we said, grief is individual. So you have to find what works for you. What works for somebody else is great, but it may not work for you. Now, you know, my my latest book, Nature's Reach, I talk about nature and how nature has helped me and can help others with grief. Now, I'm not just saying that doctors, psychiatrists, counselors, and and medication even cannot help us with grief because it can, right? We know that. Medic, medical, the medical science that's out there is phenomenal and it can help us with grief, but there's also natural ways that we can cope with grief. You've just simply got to find what works for you. Um, now whether it's, you know, it is seeing a doctor or, or joining a, a grief group and there's many out there with, simply on Facebook and you can chat with other people who are going through grief and that can be very therapeutic to you. You can bond with people, make friends and you can help each other in that way. Um, it could be what? simple. Yes. Yeah, sorry, Debbie. I'm sorry. I, I, I was curious. I, I, I don't want to stop that thought, but when you're done with that thought, I'm really curious to know what, what prompted you to write about it, to write the books? What, what, 
What mm-hmm. happened that made you say, I've got to write these books? And well, it wasn't hope, me. And what do you hope people will get out of it? Well, it, well, it wasn't me. I'm going to blame my fiance, Alison. <laughs> she's, she's my best friend. Um, so, and again, you know, as you go through life, you collect things. So when I lost my dad and we're waiting for the funeral, we were going to church. I was collecting the pamphlets. I was, you know, not, not just physical things, but memories like family were stopping at the house to pass on the condolences and, and give us support. And I was just collecting things. And when we got back to America after the funeral, it was Alice and my fiance who said, you know what, Rich, you should write a book about this. And I was like, no, I've ne- I can't write. My English is horrible. <laughs> and she's like, no, you can. Because I used to work, well, I used to work for an insurance company over here, one of the largest in America, uh, for 15 years. And I used to travel the country teaching classes. I was a um, and a, a, a commercial lines um, trainer. So I would go into a classroom of 50 people and give a class for several days. And Alison said, you can do this. You can communicate with people. You can write. It's like, no. Anyway, I thought, well, I'll give it a try. So I started to write and write and write. And then before I knew it, I had nine chapters. And that was my first book, Keep Calm and Cope with Grief. And that book talks about my journey of losing my dad, the initial shock of finding out he was going to pass away. Um, But it also talks about some of the basics, like how to organize a funeral, how to write the eulogy, the obituary, um, how to cope with that grief um, and the resources that are out there. And also about signs from our loved ones. I touch on that a little bit in that book too. Um, So it's a really a complete guide, if you like, from, I wouldn't say start to finish, because I don't believe we get to that finish line. Um, You just got to cope with the grief. Um, And then my personal path was, okay, my dad's passed away. I know he's in heaven, but I want proof. Now, I know that could be contradictory to my faith, but I was getting signs from my dad, obvious signs. He was communicating with me, and I thought, this is really interesting. So I started to do research, and before you knew it, I'd written my second book called Life After This, and that talks about different civilizations, whether it's the Aztecs, the Romans, the Greeks, how they dealt with death and how they honored their loved ones. And then I talk about different religions, you know, whether it's the the Latter-day Saints, whether it's Catholic, whether it's Jehovah's Witness. But then I talk about signs, what they can mean and how we can communicate with our loved ones if we choose to do so, whether it's, you know, through prayer, through seance, through psychics. So I, I talk about that too in that book. Give me an example of a sign. Oof, well, I'll give you one that happened to me. Most just two powerful days. one that uh, happened for you. Okay. The most powerful one, Dave, um, this only happened two weeks ago. So when my dad told me he was dying of cancer in February, 2020, Alison and I flew over to England, to Liverpool. And we stayed in a hotel because I didn't want to crowd my dad's space in the house. And we were on the fourth floor of this hotel and one night it was two o'clock in the morning and I was up with Alison. We were just sitting there looking out of the window over the city center. And on the street below us was a, a busker. I don't know if that's the word we use in America, actually. You know, somebody playing a guitar, yeah. singing songs. And he was playing Sweet Caroline mm. by Neil Diamond. 
right? That song. Yeah. And there was some drunkard people there and they were singing as well. And it was kind of cool. We were listening and I started to cry. I don't know why, but if you listen to the lyrics, I don't know. It, it just, it was very touching. And every time I hear that song now, Sweet Caroline by Neil Diamond, it reminds me of my dad. So two weeks ago, I go to bed. Alison comes to bed. We go to sleep. So I don't know about you, but I put my phone, my cell phone on the bedside table. I'm just going to get my phone. I get my cell phone, right? And I put it on the bedside table on the charge. And it's, it's still on, but you know, it's, it's quiet. Well, we're asleep and at 1.16 PM, my phone goes off and it starts playing Sweet Caroline by Neil Diamond loud. And I, and I sat up in bed and it may sound stupid, but I shouted, dad, dad. And I looked around the bedroom and it's pitch black and Alison sat up and the phone is still going. It's still playing. And it's the chorus. It's not even the start of the song. It's the chorus of Sweet Caroline. And I grabbed my cell phone and my cell phone was unlocked. Now, you know, if you've got a cell phone, you lock it, you need your fingerprint or you type in a code to unlock. Well, it was unlocked. I don't know how it unlocked. So I thought, well, maybe Pandora or Spotify is open and that's why it's playing that song. No, there was no app open on my phone. I, I'm a bit of paranoid. I always close the apps, right? So there was nothing open. I don't have that song in a playlist it's not saved on my phone. It's simply totally unexplained, huh? Yeah, it's not on my phone. Now you ask, you answer me or tell me how could that song have played like that all by itself when my dad knows that every time I hear that song I cry because I know it's that song. It's just weird. Yeah, sounds like a sign to me. What do you think, Deb? <laughs> oh, I agree. Yeah. I, yeah. I think electronics can be influenced by all kinds of energy that we don't, um, that we don't understand yet. Yeah. yeah. Trying to help you get through the grief process, perhaps. Yeah. It was just absolutely bizarre. Um, Thanks, I've, Dad. I know. <laughs> I, exactly. Yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, Dad. Yeah. You know, in the last just, four minutes, uh, time just flying here. Let's Sorry, talk yeah. about your book and, and what you hope people will get out of it. Uh, is it two books? Three books. Yeah. Three. I'm actually, I've just finished the fourth book, which is for children. Oh. Um, so talk many people. Death have, and stuff. Yeah. How children. Well, it's, a, it's for children to read. It's a picture book. So it's only 600 Great. words and it's a very touching story and it's very religious um, I, I love these three books that I've written. Don't get me wrong. The, you know, each one is my journey and research that I've completed. But the children's book has such a great message. I cannot wait for the illustrator to finish with the pictures so I can publish yeah. it. Um, but my first book, Keep Calm and Cope with Grief is definitely a great guide for somebody who's about to lose a loved one or who has lost a loved one, but needs help. With their grief, it gives plenty of ideas on how to cope. Um, 
I also talk about, like I say, about how to organize a funeral, the eulogy, how to read a will, all of those different things that you go Practical through. Stuff. Yeah, I also talk about food, how food can help us, you know, different foods we can eat that can... Food. Yeah, well, I, well, to, to keep our blood sugars under control yeah. and, um, you know, sugar's not good for us, we know this, um, but it can help us with our sleep as well, things yeah. like that. So food is important too, and exercise and, and such, Yeah. So if people want to um, find out more about that or more about you, how, where would they do that? How would they do that? Thanks, Debbie. So I would, you can find my books on Amazon and you can click on the author's name. I use my dad's name as my author name, John Allen. Um, or you can go to my website, which is richardjohnallen.com. And all my books are there. My podcasts are there. Um, I have information there. You can contact me through the website too. I have press releases, all sorts of information there and resources that can help anybody with grief. Great. Debbie, how do we get a hold of you? I am best reached at debbiepeterson.com, just my name.com. And um, there's all kinds of interesting things there too about how to interact with government to get them to understand what your needs are. Great. Remember, all our shows become recorded pod and video casts on all your favorite platforms. And my website is caregiverdave.com. And on there, you'll see the latest book I wrote, Secrets from the Hammock, Uncommon Wisdom for Uncommon Times. You'll see all about the caregiver training, mastermind, and wellness retreats that I'm doing in Acapulco, Mexico. And if you join Caregiver Dave, uh, the Facebook community of 34,000, you'll also get an online support group. So... Click the like or follow button on whatever platform you're watching this or listening to this interview on, and it helps us reach even more caregivers by improving Google's search engine algorithms. So again, thank you all my listeners out there all over the world making us the number one caregiver podcast on the internet. So until next week, thank you, Richard. Thank you, Debbie. We'll see you you again. Bye-bye. Nice to meet you, Richard. And you too. Thank you. Hey everybody, it's Dave Nassani, otherwise known as Caregiver Dave, and I'm coming to you live from this beautiful Acapulco Villa, which I like to say is the perfect prescription for caregiver burnout. And I have a unique opportunity to bring 14 burned out caregivers up here so that they can decompress and do all the things that they need to do. But this is just a bonus. It actually comes with the six-month Zoom coaching program. It's a one-on-one consult with me, Caregiver Dave, to identify where you are and where you need to go. It's six monthly small group coaching sessions to smash any obstacles between you and your ideal vision of what a caregiver needs to be and caregiver success. You get my three free books and instructions on boundaries, grief, self-care, organization, asking for help, learning how to say no, avoiding burnout, avoiding depression, avoiding perfectionism, avoiding isolation, avoiding resentment, delegation, team building, how to have fun, how to have no guilt, the importance of gratitude, and after caregiving when you're no longer a caregiver. But this seven-day bonus is absolutely free. It comes with the coaching program that you pay for. And the food is all-inclusive. I'm telling you, seven days and seven nights here is amazing. This is truly paradise. And I highly recommend it. For more information, 
go to caregiverdave.com. That's going to send you to my other website. And if you want a shortcut to get there immediately, just go to acapulcodave.com. Thanks again. I look forward to seeing you in Acapulco. Sometimes it feels like the sun will never rise, like the birds will never sing. 